the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Proudly supported by Disney Plus. Full of stories and love for all. The sun is shining, rainbow flags flutter from London streets. The traffic has now completely stopped. This is the 50th anniversary of Pride. Thousands of the LGBTQ plus community and their allies will now march through the streets in celebration. Joining the party is a group representing the armed forces. We are getting into their uniform, making sure their shoes are properly polished and all those important things and getting ready uh, to head off in the march. Really excited by it. Today we've got a mix of Army, Navy, Air Force and the Civil Service. Well, it's to show uh, people that, you know, they can be in the military and be gay and be proud. Um, I'm going to be the platoon commander, so I'm going to be out front leading the Navy and the rest of the armed forces so that's a very proud moment for me. First Pride event in general. A bit nervous in some aspects but mainly just really excited for it. There is a live gay community in the military and um, we are very supportive of each other in that sense and I want them to see that actually we're here and we're literally loud as anybody and yeah we're here to support Pride quite literally. Men, women and non-binary people in the forces can now be open about their sexuality. But it comes with the dark legacy of criminalising and ostracising the LGBTQ plus people who served their country. Until year 2000, being gay in the armed forces was an offence which could lead to dishonourable discharge, harassment and even a jail sentence. It's thought that over 5,000 people lost their jobs, their livelihoods and honour in the armed forces. I'm Steve Dania, and this is Out on Parade for Virgin Radio Pride. Growing up, I was always aware that it was illegal to be gay and in the armed forces, but I had no idea about exactly what would happen to people who were found out. This programme will explore the stories of those affected by the ban, those who fought for it to be lifted, and those living freely while serving in the forces. It's 1967, and homosexuality has just become legal in the UK. What changes in the law regarding homosexuals are you suggesting? The chief change we're recommending there is that homosexual behaviour between adult consenting males in private should no longer be a criminal offence. Up until now, men were prosecuted for engaging in homosexual acts. Tremaine Cornish was just a teenager when Britain changed this law. I uh, joined the army in September 1971 as a boy soldier. Um, I knew that I was gay, though I might not have used that term, when I was 13. And uh, the, the main reason was to get away from home, particularly my father. Um, and I found very quickly that the discipline was mild compared to home. Um, so I thought I'd found a new home. Tremaine was one of the first generation of men who could explore their sexuality without fear of arrest, but only as a civilian. In the forces, it was still an offence. The Army Act of 1955 meant that those in the forces were governed by different laws than civilians and homosexuality was still punishable by dishonourable discharge or even time in a military prison. So Tremaine had to be very careful. 
there would be a, you know, you knock on a, a door and somebody would pull back a hatch and look at you and see whether you fitted or if they recognised you and or quiz you about other places that you had been to to see if you were genuine. Now, bear in mind that in the early 70s, um, most people had long hair, uh, young lads, um, and there I had short back and sides. So I would have stood out a mile. You know, why would you want to come into a place like this? You know, stand out screaming, as, you know, as a soldier. Um, you don't fit in here. Uh, but occasionally got in. And it, it, it gradually opened up more and more. Gay clubs and bars have always been a safe haven for those in the LGBTQ plus community. One of the longest standing is the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, South London's oldest surviving gay bar. Now, I've been going there for a good decade and heard from multiple sources that soldiers used to go there in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s quietly to enjoy kind of drag shows on a Sunday afternoon by the likes of Lily Savage. So I went there to meet former Navy Lieutenant Commander Patrick Lister-Todd. Cheers. Sorry I'm a bit late. When did you first come here? Um, crikey. Early 80s, but on my own, occasionally in the evening. Um, and that's because I was a serving naval officer and it was a criminal offence to be gay in those days. Yeah. So wherever I went or whenever I went on the scene in London, I always needed to make sure that uh, I'd cased the joint. Uh, in the military, we call it squaring. So I literally would go up that way, through there, wander up there, come back down here, to the other side. Before co- you even A couple came of times, in. and I'd be looking for uh, telltale signs of surveillance by military police or, or even MI5. I spent about two hours going around. Uh, on a Sunday until I had enough confidence to go in. Uh, And a little bit of background, I joined the Navy at 17 in 72, and I'd quickly evolved what I call my rules, which were no boyfriends, no gay friends, uh, sex, yes, but only at a distance from the Navy and never with anyone else in the military. Are we okay to go in? Thank you. Look at us, we've got the... uh... The whole RV to, RVC to ourselves as we're in here. It kind of feels weird, doesn't it, MT? I, it, it does. So, Patrick, you said that this was like a safe haven where military people used to meet up. Why do you think, why did they choose it here? Why was that? So, like me, a, a lot of LGBT plus people in the military were young people. They, you know, um, they had a life to live away from being um, a, a member of the, the armed forces subject to the Service Discipline Acts. And... Um, why did I start coming here? Well, of course, my, my boyfriend knew of here, said, you'll like this, you'll be safe here. You know, the, the windows are... Um, I don't think they had mirrors then, I think they were blacked out, but, uh, you know, you'll be safe here. And when you leave, you'll be in such a horde um, that no-one will spot you. And that was really important. It was somewhere... So I, I don't have to know whether military people came here or not. I know they will have, because... Um, a sailor, a soldier, uh, an airman, uh, today, um, airwoman, um, airperson, um, all of them would feel um, safe and happy in here. And of course, they do come here. Just describe what you would have seen then. Uh, what, well, you what, couldn't move. Really? Was it that? Oh, no, you could never move. Right. So I don't know if it still does, but it used to be amateur strip yes. on Wednesdays. 
And whilst I was still a lieutenant commander in the Navy, I was there on my own, and uh, a couple of people, you know, I was sort of, you know, um, a lot lighter than I am now. I was quite sort of uh, a handsome lad, shall we say, back in those days. And uh, um, I, someone persuaded me to get up on stage. I came second, for God's sake. <laughs> so I must ask a question. Back at this time, when you were in the military, were you fully aware of the consequences? What would happen if you were caught? Oh, absolutely. I because mean, what I, did you know? What did you think? What did you fear? Well, it was a criminal offence to be gay. And I was aware of that. And, you know, I kept my two worlds firmly apart. Patrick knew there were places like the Royal Vauxhall Tavern where he could hide from the forces. But revealing the truth would put everything into jeopardy. Exactly what happened to Tremaine Cornish. In the summer of 1976, one day I was told that... um, I needed to go to a particular office, um, I needed to be interviewed. And I was told that the one female officer, one female that we had on the unit then, uh, who was a second lieutenant, uh, that she had had some underwear stolen. Did I know anything about it? Nope. Interviewed at length. There were, there, there were two... Uh, members of the SIB, the Special Investigation Branch of the Royal Military Police, though they, none of them were particularly gentle, asked me, are you, um, and I don't remember what he said, but it wasn't gay. I don't know if they'd have used such a term then. might have been homosexual, but it might have been more hurtful. Um, but it certainly the whole thing wasn't pleasant. And I remember thinking... Uh, very fast on my feet. Do I, don't I, do I tell the truth? I knew that the I, the notion at the time was if you're gay, homosexual, that you would be a security risk because you would deny it, therefore you could be blackmailed and then get information from. One of the military's justifications for upholding the ban on homosexuality was blackmail arguing that servicemen and women were vulnerable to enemy forces using their secret against them. It's an argument Tremaine had little time for. I I remember thinking, well, that's a nonsense because it's only a security risk that you can be blackmailed for because the ban is there. If the ban weren't there, then the issue goes away. So I, I knew that that was a nonsense. Also, somewhere along the line, either in my training or perhaps also with um, my upbringing, uh, that I learned a level of integrity. Um, I knew that if you lie, you've got to cover up with um, other lies and then you get lost into what you've said. And so very quickly, within moments, I just said yes. And I'm fairly positive that that um, sergeant was stunned. This bold admission from Tremaine was shocking, but perhaps not as unusual as he imagined, as young men would sometimes claim to be homosexual just to escape the military. So the forces set about trying to prove Tremaine's claim. I only said that because I was so angry at them and the offensive questioning uh, that they had um, thrown at me 
Um, I, again, I don't know where in in what order it all happened, but during this, I was sent for um, a psychiatric evaluation. Doctor, naval doctor in Plymouth at the uh, military hospital there, and he did a physical examination um, uh, to see if he, they were able to confirm that yes, I had engaged in such activities. Yes, um, examining intimate parts, let's say. And uh, the report said, no, there was no evidence to suggest that it, I was, or that I had engaged, engaged in such activities. Oh, well, well they, they, there's no way, uh, two ways about it. It was an assault. But that was how they did things then. And then later on, I was uh, told when my discharge date was. I did feel robbed. By this point, the military were rarely sending gay men to prison, but Tremaine was still forced out of the army. I was thrown out like many others, and I completely lost my sense of self-worth. I felt completely worthless and um, uh, felt that I had nothing. And um, I think about what I could have done, being in the forces, having the support and the encouragement that uh, people get in the forces. Um, as part of a, a, a unit and a, a, a bigger family. And that was robbed from me. Being dishonourably discharged is more than just a label. You lose not only your job, but your pension and the right to work for the Crown again in any capacity, including the police. But perhaps the biggest thing you lose is your honour. It wasn't just gay men that were affected. Lesbianism was never criminalised in the UK and it was still banned in the military. I'd applied to join the army and I went through what we call regular commissions board, which is very tough physical and written and um, oral interviews for three days. And I got in. Sean Valliar Thomas was a second in command in the army during the 70s. So I was at home. It was a family. I really lost my family largely because of coming out gay. But I don't, didn't know that it was illegal to be gay in the army. It hadn't... I sort of knew, but I didn't think it would affect me. Sean was soon in charge of other women in the unit, where she became a safeguard for them. They guessed I was gay pretty quickly. I was in the officer's mess, the only young officer and a bunch of old fuddy-duddies, um, and they were in their barrack blocks. Um, and I couldn't be friendly with them because I was there the second in command of the unit. Every night we did a bed check. One of the, uh, either me or warrant officer would go and do, or sergeant would go and do a bed check. And I knew perfectly well, it was not to see if there was a men in the block, it was to see there was only one girl per bed. I'd be in uniform even at two o'clock in the morning so they could hear and get the hell out, you know. So I did what I could to protect them in any and every way that I could. Sean protected other women because she knew the risk of getting caught as a homosexual in the forces. And it didn't just mean the risk of dismissal like Tremaine. In some cases, they went extreme. Is it, is it true that you were the last person to be sent to jail for your sexuality? Uh, I believe so. Stephen Purves was in the RAF as a commissioned officer. But an incident in 1985 left his whole world crashing in on him. I was on a, a boat coming back from Germany. And on the boat was a, a young lad who was crying. 
Um, and uh, he must have been about 15 or 16. And uh, I asked him if he was okay. And then he said that he was crying because he didn't want to go back to the States because he had found out that he was gay. Well, obviously, I was very sympathetic to that. And so I took him to a quieter area and uh, sat him down, held his hands and said, listen, this is going to be fine. And as I looked up, I noticed that there was a chap who I recognized um, who had clearly followed me and the young man. And um, once he'd seen me holding the guy's hands, he, um, he went off. And I thought, hmm, okay. didn't think anything more about it. However, uh, when I got back from that trip to UK, I get a phone call from the RAF police and they asked me to come down. I went down there and then they said, look, we have interviewed, let's call him Little Steve, and he has told us everything, so we just need you to tell us everything. So, long story short, I, I told them everything. Um, it was all a little bit um, underhand, particularly the way that they got me to go down for interview. When they started investigating, were you aware of the possible consequences, the fact that you could be jailed? Did you know that at the time? Was that something kind of swirling in the back of your head? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so I got them to, well, I tried to get them to say, look, I'll tell you everything, but, you know, I, I don't want uh, I don't want to go to prison or anything like that. I said, no, 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 that's, that's, that's all fine. The other thing they said was, listen, if you don't tell us who else you may have been in, involved with in the military and we find out, then that's definite jail time. So, unfortunately, I fell for that and... Um, I told them about three people that I had had assignations with on a mutual basis. And um, so they then you went and interviewed them and used that evidence against me at my court-martial. At my court-martial, I was facing 17 charges with um, four people uh, with a possible... Uh, sentence of two years per charge. So, I mean, that was pretty horrific for me. And under the section of Air Force law that they charged me, Section 69 of the Air Force Act, the the category of <clears throat> same homosexual acts was in the same one as um, acts with animals, acts with kids. So... Gross indecency, yeah, yeah, just just dreadful stuff. Stephen was sentenced to three months, and as a commissioned officer, he couldn't be sent to a military prison where most serving men will be sent. So instead, he went to a civil prison. I was so angry, I cannot tell you. That's why I won the two fights that I had, because I was furious with the Air Force. I was furious with the system that could have allowed this to happen. I didn't feel I'd done anything wrong. I shouldn't have been there. Um, this shouldn't be happening to me. 
Um, but I think the psychological impact of what I was put through because of who I am and what I was has affected me every day since being um, dismissed with disgrace. That has been the big uh, cross for me to, to carry and bear uh, for all this time. Stephen's story is a terrifying reminder of what being gay in the forces could lead to. And for some people joining, they chose to ignore their sexuality completely, like Trevor Skindle. I'm a veteran of the Royal uh, Corps of Signals. I'd, I'd known that I was gay for a very long time, even though I had girlfriends and stuff, I was just covering up for it. Because at, at the time, it wasn't really accepted. And even I expressed, you know, made some homophobic um, expressions about things. Just It was just a big cover. Um, and even though I knew that I was gay when I was going in, I just thought, um, put it to, I put it to, in, into the background, really, um, and didn't really consider it like it was going to affect my my service when you uh, start your basic training they try to completely destroy your um, ego and um, they, they try and take you completely back down to almost like a shell and then they build you back up again so they're almost like building you in into an image of what they want even though I had um, uh, you know, I felt attractions to other guys. It, that all got put into the background. Trevor built a whole new identity to hide his sexuality. But of course, whenever anyone tries to conceal who they are, it's never, ever going to be a happy life. The military police and the, the, the almost like the equivalent of special branch, their attitude towards somebody who was gay or lesbian and being in the armed services was the equivalent of somebody a spy trying to steal um, uh, atomic bomb secrets. That's how seriously they took it. And I was feeling lonely. I had a good German girlfriend, which I used to cover up things. Um, but then um, there was, a, I think there was something really deep down inside that I felt I couldn't express, but was such an intrinsic part of me that it was. I was starting to break inside. And so I got into the, the whole drinking thing, a really, really heavy drinking, um, to the point where I would call it verging on alcoholism. And um, the problem with that is it just made me more and more depressed. And at one point I then um, tried to stop myself, I attempted suicide. That must have been desperately, desperately dark times. Do you think it was all about the, the the fact that you had to suppress how you were feeling? And, you know, it gets you can't suppress something as natural as sexuality, can you? No, it, it's something that's so intrinsic to your being. It, and it's like your, your entire, your, almost your entire sense of self-worth is being completely undermined. You just feel like nothing. You just feel like you're just, it's just not worth it. You're, I'm not worth it, so what's the point? You're at your lowest ebb. You're drinking loads. You know, you've got suicidal thoughts. Um, what was next? I can still remember flashes of how they, the guys found me. They got me, they carried me out. Six of them carried me out of the barrier block, ran down to the emergency medical centre. I got shoved into the back of an ambulance and 
I, I, I can recall coming around in the hospital and having a stomach pump, pump stuck down my throat. And then I, eventually I came around in a, a ward in um, the military hospital in Hanover and I went through a whole recovery thing pr- program with them. And then I went to see the military psychologist. And they, one of the things they started to talk about was my, um, my, my sexual relations. And of course, I was going out with a German woman. And so I used that as cover again because I, I at the time I had no idea what I would do if they found out or they kicked me out. Eventually, Trevor decided to make a decision. But I just started to think time was going by and I wasn't having any sort of relationship with anybody. And I, I, I just felt more and more and more the need growing that I wanted to have a, an emotionally or sexually fulfilling relationship with somebody, and that would be a bloke. I really, really wanted to have a relationship with a bloke, and it wasn't going to happen while I was there. And I knew that if something, I would make a slip up, and I would make a really serious mistake, and I would get caught, and then it, all hell would break loose. And I just didn't want to end up thinking I was going to spend six months in Nick, which was the average sentence you would get if you were caught as a gay person in the military. The gay men and women in the military were being forced to choose between being out and being in the forces, like Patrick, who had to choose between his two loves. You know, I kept my two worlds firmly apart uh, and, you know, until I met my first partner. And even then it was difficult. Um, I learnt... This was the second year we were together, it was HIV positive. He'd been scared to tell me, we'd always been safe, but he was scared to tell me because his last boyfriend, when he'd found out, he just walked off from him. And he was scared that I would do the same. And if anything, it brought me even closer. Uh, I then became an expert on every bit of information about HIV and AIDS, bought the early books in this country, so that I could be there for him. But I also had a responsible position at the time. I was one of the officers responsible for the surface and air security of the national deterrent. So, you know, uh, one of those few people who could, if I needed to, know exactly where they were. Mm. And uh, my job after that was to be the head of the tertiary stage of young officers training in the, in the main executive branch. Mm. So both very responsible jobs for a relatively young mid-ranking officer. And the job after that, uh, so we're into the early 90s now, would have been the second command of a Type 42 destroyer. And it was at that point that I said, what is my priority here? Because we knew that one day he would become ill, because Mm. everyone did. I resigned in 91. Um, Everyone thought I was mad. I had... This was because of you to look after your partner? Yes, but I couldn't say that I had a male partner. So I gave a spurious reason. Everyone thought I was mad, I was going places, I was going to get promoted. And I suddenly had said, well, actually, I want to go outside so I can get my second career bedded down whilst I'm still well in my 30s. And none of them really bought it, but they had to accept it. They made me give a year's notice, and he died two days before my last day, with no one knowing, apart from our friends and family. And uh, I managed to get the penultimate day off, but the last day I had to, uh, I had to hand over my department to uh, my successor, who was actually my deputy. And then on that Saturday morning, I-, I woke up, and the only two things that had ever really mattered to me in my life, namely 
Dennis Jones, my partner, and the Royal Navy, my career, but more than a career, uh, certainly more than a job, my calling had gone. And there was nothing I could do that was ever going to bring them back. Leaving the forces, honourably or dishonourably, is a huge event in the life of military personnel, and even more so for those who are hiding their sexuality. Trevor decided to make his position clear and asked the psychiatrist to write a letter telling the Ministry of Defence he was gay. He received a swift reply saying, Your service has been terminated as per the date of this letter. And how did that make you feel? I just thought, you know, these people who recruit people like me and people like me who have the motivation to go into the military could and I could ultimately lose my life in defence of the society that sends me, you know, out to fight a war. And from that point on, I had nothing, nothing further to do with the military. It's all about uh-huh. Pride. Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Steve Denier, and you're listening to Out on Parade on Virgin Radio Pride. I've been delving into the shocking history of being queer in the armed forces before the ban. For decades, it seemed like things were never going to change. But by the 90s, there was now a new hope, with growing number of military opposition to the forces' homophobic attitudes. And in 1994, a group called Rank Outsiders began to campaign. One of their members was Simon Langley, who left a career with the Navy as a helicopter pilot to be with his boyfriend. He began working with rank outsiders to ensure that no one else would be forced to make the same choice that he had to. When I left, I I looked around for help and support and I very quickly came across rank outsiders. Um, And uh, I left in April 93, I think it was that summer, I went to um, a meeting um, at Stonewall in Greycoat Place in London, um, where rank outsiders were meeting. Um, and I signed up on the spot um, and decided from that point on that I was going to dedicate whatever time I had available um, to fighting to overturn the ban. For Tremaine, who had been discharged over 20 years ago, it was a chance to spend time with other veterans who understood what he'd been through and to try to change it for those who would come after him. Really good to meet other people who had equally been thrown out, um, realised that we were all damaged because we had been thrown out from our chosen career where we were, we signed up potentially to give our lives and then through no fault of our own and nothing to do with our abilities, we were just thrown out, dismissed. As the UK began to become more accepting of the LGBTQ plus community, with the lowering of the age of consent and fairer representation in the mainstream media, the campaign group Rank Outsiders was still highlighting that the forces were decades behind, as Simon Langley recalls. We used to put flyers around um, gay pubs, particularly in all pubs in military areas, um, 
you know, telling people that they could contact us in confidence. And, and, and over the years, a lot of people did. You know, a lot of people got involved with, with Rank Outsiders. It was an incredibly important organisation. Um, we were going to make life really, really difficult um, for the MOD and for the military generally um, by talking, by getting out there and getting in front of the public and telling people what was going on. When we would go out and talk to the media, for instance, that there was sort of incredulity, I think, on the part of people that we were talking to, and certainly on the part of the public, that this situation even existed. Everybody thought the law had changed for everybody in 1967, and it hadn't. Um, and you've got to remember in 1993, um, we still had a completely unequal age of consent um, as well. You know, So there were lots of other things going on. Um, and so, you know, there, there were, and, and, and also Section 28 was still in place. Um, you know, there were lots of things that were happening within the LGBT community that we were trying to change, and we were a part of that. And their lobbying was working. When the 1994 Police and Criminal Evidence Act went through, um, it did two things. It started the process of lowering the age of consent, but it also was the, the, led to the decriminalisation of homosexuality in the military. Um, so from 1994 onwards, it was no longer a criminal offence. However, it remained the case that you would still be discharged administratively. So you couldn't serve, but at least you were no longer a crook. This was progress, but while it decriminalised gay people serving, it was still effectively a ban. And the UK was behind the times. In countries like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Germany, France and Norway, those policies had been removed. But despite this, a UK government report in 1996 concluded that homosexuals in the military were bad for morale and still a blackmail risk. It was during this time in 1997 that a friend of mine, Carl Austin Behan, was serving in the RAF. He would learn the hard way that the ban was very much still a thing. I don't think anyone really understood the fact that it was illegal mm -hmm. to, be, to be gay. So anyway, in April of 97, I was taken into the officer commanding's office and I was just sat down. It was like, there was a padre who's a vicar. There was the RAF police there and the officer in charge of admin and just sort of sit down and sort of, SEC Austin, do you have homosexual tendencies? I froze. Now, that split second, I know that if I'd have said no, it'd have been, thank you very much, um, someone's made an allegation, we just needed to check. Mm. But that split second, I, I, I started to cry, but it also made me uh, realise that it was now the time that I had to accept who I was and to be me. Um, so then they asked again, I answered yes. Within seconds, they were telling me, you do realise that you could go to military prison now for six months. Mm -hmm. Um we, you will be discharged. Your, your services are no longer required. You're incompatible to service life. Now, incompatible is a strange word. Yeah. Because for me, incompatible is a light bulb. It's either a bayonet or a screw. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, it's a weird way of sort of incompatible to service life because they reckon that I could now no longer serve. Considering that I had um, my promotion through, considering I had exemplary service record, considering it had no impact on the lifestyle that I was living within the Air Force at all, um, I was literally marched off camp within 10 minutes with 
police escort. I was given three big boxes, told to fill them up, and they would deliver them to an address in the UK. And that was it. I was literally... To, I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to say goodbye to anybody. Like you're a criminal. Well, you were. Yeah, I was a criminal. Yeah, it, criminal. Was a, it was a criminal. They were saying you were a criminal. Yeah. They did it. It was done as an admin discharge in the end because <clears> it was... The weird thing was, I think I'd always thought in the time that I was in, because I think earlier, a couple of years earlier, it had gone through your European Parliament and then it just sort of got missed off and the fact that it should change. You know, when we're looking at, you know, age of consent had now been changed. You know, there was all different things that, 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 yeah. was, that was going on. And I think that um, I just thought that it would would sort of take place in my in my time, but no, I was I was now uh, marched off. It was a, an admin discharge. It was uh, marched off there. I remember driving through the camp gates and just sitting there, literally in a little layby, crying for three hours, wondering which way do I go? Do I just disappear and go to London and try and set up a new life there, or do I come back to Manchester and face the consequences? Because mm-hmm. I felt that I'd let everybody down. You know, I'd lost, I'd lost my job. I'd lost my career that I'd signed up for for 22 years. I lost all my friends. Um, and in that period, I ended up going to work for Asda, stacking shelves at night and thinking, what do I do? In 2011, Carl moved into politics and in 2016 became Manchester's first out Lord Mayor. So I wanted to, to normalise being gay. And what I mean by that is because, as I say, you only had, stere- you only had the stereotypical people... Whereas I'd been in the Air Force, I'd been in the fire service, I'd stacked shelves, I was doing normal jobs, and I wanted to normalise being gay. So for me, it was very much about doing that. British forces were dragged first through the UK courts and then the European Court of Human Rights. And after years of fighting, they declared the ban not legally sustainable. So in early 2000, it was lifted. For new recruits to the army, it's okay to be gay as long as they don't flaunt it. That's the essence of a new code of behaviour introduced by service chiefs after the European Court of Human Rights said the force's ban on homosexuals was illegal. But the change had not gone down well in all quarters, and there was now dissent among some high-ranking officers. Former Allied Forces Commander General Sir Anthony Hockley said... When they go to war... People are thrown together. The great majority do not want to be brought into contact with homosexual practices. So the law had changed, but perhaps not the ingrained homophobia. Craig Jones was on duty in the Navy on the day the ban was lifted. So the European Court ruled on the 27th of September 99 and ruled the ban illegal. It's a really important point. It wasn't just deemed to be administratively incorrect. It was an illegal ban. And I walked through to see my commanding officer to hand it to him. Uh, and I handed him the signal pad and he read it and he said, it's a day of great sadness, Craig, that we will have to serve with these people. And that moment was not the right time to tell him but I knew that it would come very, very quickly. Uh, And that was on the Tuesday. The following day, uh, there was a speech to the wardroom which depicted the ban, the lifting of the ban in an incredibly negative way. And I was damn angry about it. And I was not given the chance I was not going to be part of the continued exclusion and the victimization and the bullying of people 
under my command, people who I served with. Um, so a few moments after that, I appeared in the captain's cabin and told him that I never wished to hear anything like that again and that I was gay uh, and I was proud of who I was. If news of anything could get round a ship using normal uh, military communications as quickly as the fact that the operations officer was gay, then the military would have no issues at all with communications. I think all 500 people knew I was gay about 10 minutes after I came out. Um, and, you know, I'd set myself on a, uh, on a difficult road. The, the months that followed uh, were immensely challenging. But then and, and now... I don't have a single regret. It, it was the right thing to do. People had fought for my career uh, and um, I saw it as taking the baton uh, and demonstrating that actually everything that we had heard, everything that we had been told in the years leading to the ban was lifted about gay people was wrong. And actually, we were as good as everybody else and that we could find our place and we could be of positive benefit to the armed forces. Also serving after the ban was Caroline Page, the first openly trans person in the forces. Trans people were never actually banned from the military, but their outdated viewpoint led them to believing it was exactly the same as homosexuality. I was now moving into my 30s and there was a realisation that life was moving on and you weren't living your own life and you had a fantastic job, but it wasn't a great place to be uh, yourself and openly yourself. Um, uh, and so I decided to do something about it and I had enough. And I, I was going to leave and then just transition and go outside and transition and just be Caroline. But then I thought, if I leave, I lose the job that I love doing. If I transition, I'm going to lose my parents and friends anyway. So I'm going to lose everything. There was an awful lot of hostility because when the Air Force, in my case, turned around and said, yes, you could stay, they never put in place any kind of explanation why or any uh, uh, awareness of what it meant to be transgender and that I was still just a person doing my job. So there was an awful lot of hostility. The ban was lifted in January 2000. Um, and so things, uh, well, people like Craig came along and pushing uh, LGBT plus inclusion uh, and uh, trying to transform that workspace because you can't, you can't take an organisation which has been told for decades that it's not acceptable to employ LGBT plus people. You can't change that overnight. You've got to show through all sorts of different ways that it's a good thing to do. Uh, and uh, people are kind of a little bit blind to that because they've never been told why it's a good thing to do. So you have to show that and you have to um, push for it. So um, like the likes of Craig and myself uh, stood up as uh, role models right from the very day the ban was lifted and in my case just before, and we became visible. Caroline left the RAF in 2014 and Craig left the Navy in 2006. In 2020, they set up the charity Fighting with Pride and they continue to campaign for LGBTQ plus veterans to be compensated for how they were treated. And it's the work of those that came before that allowed today's recruits to live openly. Craig Smith is a sergeant currently serving in the RAF. I didn't join the Air Force until 2006, so the ban had already been lifted. But for me, on a personal level, you know, I was deeply uncomfortable with my sexuality, I think. So I was basing it on a really, probably quite an outdated view of what I remembered 
you know, from the 80s and the 90s. So, yeah, I think it was just me on a personal bit. I was uncomfortable with my own sexuality. And then actually joining the military, I think I was suddenly around these really positive role models. And I realised how, how far the military had come already in those six years. So I, I, I remember there was Wing Commander Mark Abrahams who founded the RF, um, what was the RF LGBT forum back then. I mean, I kind of was immersed in this whole different positive LGBT community. And that's really what brought me round to accepting myself. And then I, I kind of came out to my family. So the RAF actually helped me come out. So for me, it had a really positive effect. The military of 1999 compared to the military of 2022 are, they don't even compare. I don't think you, they're two so completely different organisations, especially when it comes to LGBT people. I don't think you can quite quantify the, the change that the military went through when that when the repeal happened. Um, I think it's probably been difficult over the years, no doubt. I mean, you're changing attitudes that were so ingrained. But honestly, I think the two the two stages of the organisation, just, they don't compare. The military is very, very different now. It's had to be. In 2022, Virgin Radio Pride was invited to the military's Wellington Barracks in Westminster as serving LGBTQ plus men and women prepared to join London's Pride March. The Royal Navy is the first time and the only job I've ever felt that I could be truly me, which for me is why it's important for Pride because I want people to see that, you know, it's okay. It's okay to be who you want to be and be in the military. Well, I'm proud of being in the forces and I'm proud of who I am. Uh, I remember when I came and I saw uh, the forces when the first time I came and I was like, that's really cool. Um, and that actually made me consider joining before, you know, the stereotypes that you can't be gay in the forces was something that held me back. Um, that and not having to be forced to wear a skirt, they were great. And I was like, I've got to join the forces. So now I want to be that person for someone else. So. Being a part of the RAF is a massive achievement. So being able to be gay in the forces and be able to do what we love doing is amazing. And now we're truly representing that we are open to everybody joining us now. And for the first time, discharged LGBTQ plus veterans were invited to join alongside Craig Jones from the charity Fighting With Pride. I think this is an amazing day for defence. It's a moment in which the armed forces family is finally complete. The veterans that are here today were cast aside. They were dismissed in disgrace uh, over the last 50 years. And today, some of them have walked through the gates at Wellington Barracks and walked onto the defence estate for the first time in 40 years. Uh, and it's a moment in which some people who served the United Kingdom at the front line of operations all over the world and were treated disgracefully are finally back home. September 77. I was kicked out of these barracks, never to return. So coming back into a military barracks all this time later is... Yes, it's quite something. This is the first time that, that veterans and the MOD and the military have got together and jointly gone to Pride. Um, and for me, that just makes a massive difference. 
Um, it's the first time I've felt truly welcome back in a military environment. Baroness Goldie has been the Minister of State since 2019, and she gave a speech about the shameful ban. For this is the first time that thanks to the good agencies of the Fighting with Pride charity, our serving personnel and civilians will be joined by 12 veterans, and I've had the privilege and the honour of meeting them. Many of them are standing over there. And they deserve our pride, our respect, our gratitude, and you know what they deserve? Our applause. I think MOD has been on a journey. The journey started slowly. It's been a painful journey and a challenging one. But you know what? I think we've reached a point, and I felt today really was a manifestation of the point we've reached, where I think everyone now from the LGBTQ plus community feels they are part of the defence family. They're not a bit of it, they're part of it. And I feel today, just speaking to people, the warmth that's engulfing this occasion, that's exactly what everyone feels. Perhaps most importantly, our veterans feel that. This is a, a one-off. This is their first participation in the march, which I think is a terrific achievement. Sends a really powerful message. And with that, the Army, Navy, RAF and veterans marched across London as the official brass band guards played, performing gay anthems like I'm Still Standing, I Will Survive and Don't Stop Me Now. Trevor Skingle. We've had the apology and now we're being accepted. We're being pulled back into, with open arms, we're being pulled back into the military family. And it was just, like, when we went on the Pride March and we, sorry, um, we, we were walking past, we were walking past Fortnum and Masons and I nearly lost it. That's how, that's how emotional it was. Remain Cornish. We were extremely well received. Um, that, that was kind of good and um, a bit cathartic um, to start to build a connection with these uh, people and feeling at last being accepted back into the military family. Sean Valliard Thomas. Fantastic. It was fabulous to be cheered like that. And the huge range of tourists and visitors to London and Londoners, it was just really overpowering. Overpowering. The march alongside my partner, that was wonderful. Simon Langley. Marching with the military for me was, was incredibly special. It, it's, it's something I didn't think would happen in my lifetime. And I think that degree of recognition is really, really important. The fact that they wanted us to be there um, and that we were able to be there um, just was so important. So is the fight over for gay rights in the forces? Perhaps not. The charity Fighting With Pride are working alongside other campaign groups to make sure veterans are compensated for all that they've lost, medals returned and pensions reinstated. They've lobbied the government to open a review into what happened during the ban. They're calling for veterans to come forward and to give evidence, even if they may have kept the circumstances around their discharge from the military a secret. 
For more information on where you can give evidence, make contact with the LGBTQ plus charity Fighting with Pride. Or you can email contact at lgbtveterans.independent-review.uk. The call for evidence will go out and that's an opportunity for the thousands of LGBT plus veterans in the UK to step forward and give their evidence and to tell their truth. And we know that for many of those that that will be immensely difficult, both because of what they went through back in the day uh, as they were hounded out of the armed forces, but also because of the, the dreadful impact upon their lives in the decades since. But if they can find the courage and the spirit to, we want them to step forward and to tell the government what happened so that along with the government, we can support a better future for those fantastic members and honourable members of our armed forces who were treated quite so disgracefully. So please do step forward to Fighting With Pride. We will support you every step of the way to give your evidence. Uh, And once that evidence is given, we will petition through Parliament to make sure that there are full reparations for those most affected. Something that made the extent of these secrets clear to me was a confession from a dear friend whilst I was making this documentary. I've been going to the Vauxhall Tavern, as I mentioned earlier, for years and have known the owner, James Lindsay, for decades. When I wanted to record here, he told me that he too had been discharged from the Navy for being gay, something I never knew. I'm very selective in terms of the media interviews that I give and I'm very comfortable about with you and because I know in terms of how you are as a presenter and, and how things how you operate. Um, I, I get approaches every, every day from the media and I turn them down because my privacy is still quite important to me. So co- coming out of the Navy, I, it, it really it did break my heart because I, I, I thought I'd find a platform where I could be really happy and do and excel at something which I thought I was good at. So my, my, my time in the Royal Navy ended on in, in the 11th of February uh, 1982, so that, that, that's all of those years have passed. How do you feel now when you see that things are pretty much normalised? You've got military people invited to, um, you know, to take part in London Pride. Veterans are being invited back. That could be... That could be you, couldn't it? I hope that uh, the people who want that recognition and that stigma taken away from them, I'm at a different level in my life now where it's not that important to me, but it is important to other people. You know, I don't want compensation. I would love to have my, my badge that they've taken off me. I would love to have that back. How was it reliving that story after 40 years, telling me about it? I feel good about talking to you about it. You know, I, re- I really do. Um, do I feel nervousness or apprehension? No, I don't. You know, the way I'm talking to you just now, I feel, I feel very relaxed. And, you know, and maybe that, that says that time of putting this to bed has come. Made peace with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. James has been able to move on from his experience of being discharged. But for some, like Stephen Purves, who was jailed in 1985 because of his sexuality, the hurt is still raw. I just need a moment. Sure, sure, take your time. It must have been incredibly tough. I think re- recapping it is, is, is really, really hard. Um, which is why I, I don't very often talk about it. It's why I've never been 
involved with um, you know the rank outsiders and all the efforts that the people have worked so hard to get us to this point now with rank outsiders uh, with um, fighting with pride and I understood why that was set up and um, that got me to act and go to London and march and gay pride uh, to support the other veterans who possibly went through similar things to me and uh, it's it's a very personal thing it's a very tough thing um, I don't remember crying about this for a long long time because I refused to, to revisit it because it's so hurtful The LGBTQ plus story in the MOD is a triumphant success story, but one with great, great sadness. It's been amazing to see the lengths the military has gone to for LGBTQ plus inclusion. And anyone queer listening considering joining should know that they'd be welcome now for whoever they are. And for veterans listening, and it may have been a long time, you can now come forward, share your story and make this story an important one. The government's independent review into the service and the experience of LGBTQ plus veterans who served between 1967 to 2000 is due to open. You'll be able to share your story anonymously if you want to. You can find out more by searching for LGBTQ plus veterans independent review and going to the government website or contact Fighting With Pride for more information. I'm Steve Denier, and this has been Out on Parade for Virgin Radio Pride. Produced by Sean Alsop for Audio Always. The Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney Plus. Celebrating every colour of the rainbow.